Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett. Uh, today we have a, I'll call this a very special episode because it is a great idea that Rochelle came up with where we are going to do some technology trivia, uh, mostly with ourselves, but then at the end we're going to have a couple questions for the audience, and if you can uh, email us your responses, we would love that. So, uh, we're just sort of going to go back and forth here. We were just saying before the podcast started, this may be our most technically challenging podcast yet <laughs> because we are going to go back and forth uh, with some questions. And yeah, so I would suggest to our audience, play along, see if you know these answers. Uh, I did not know most of these answers, so I learned a lot with this and I'm very excited to, uh, to talk about it. So, Rochelle, first question. All of these tech companies were started in a garage except for A, Amazon, B, Apple, C, eBay, D, Google, E, Hewlett Packard, and F, Microsoft. Which of those were not started in a garage? So I had a lot of pause when I came up with this question because I was trying to think about what I knew, right? Because, you know, there were all these shows on Netflix about these different creators and all that stuff. So Apple was easy, right? Mm -hmm. You knew about that because that was there. Uh, Microsoft was fairly easy. Uh, Hewlett Packard, you know, older, but yep. Google, I, I struggled with that and I struggled with Amazon. Um, and so after some uh, searching, I found out the answer is C, eBay. Who knew? <laughs> that you know is... That? Exactly right. <laughs> uh, I thought, you know, this was one of those where, like I was saying, like I had no idea what the correct answer was. I knew it wasn't Google because uh, I had heard about them starting. Apple has their famous starting in their garage. But like uh, Amazon didn't know that they did it. Hewlett Packard. Hewlett Packard is so old. I thought maybe they were like doing technology before garages existed <laughs> like maybe not technology but like i think didn't they start as like a toilet or a plumbing company or something they started as something really weird before jumping into uh technology but uh, that's very cool ebay's the only one that did not start in some person's garage yep and i think that um ebay might be the eBay and Amazon might be the only two that were started by one person as opposed to a collaborative between two people because Hewlett mm -hmm. Packard are two people. Um, Microsoft was Bill Gates and uh, can't remember his name right now. And then Apple was Steve Jobs and I can't remember uh, his name. <laughs> Steve Wozniak was the other guy. Yeah. But, you know, I, I remember Amazon. They did when Amazon first became what they became. A little bit of trivia here. If you think about Amazon, what Amazon started out as a bookseller, they were selling mm -hmm. books in their garage or whatever, mail order, whatever they could do. Go back and think about Netflix. So when you think about Netflix, you know, this is something I learned very recently. Netflix started to compete with Blockbuster, but they were going to do it better. Who mm -hmm. knew this, you know? And some have said Netflix was the demise of Blockbuster, you know, mm -hmm. but there's a lot about these companies that are very interesting to know backstories. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember when Netflix was getting going, I thought it was sort of like a scam. I would see like the little coupons and everything everywhere. And I would think like, 
why would I want to order movies in the mail when I can just go to a blockbuster? And then you do it a couple times and it's like, oh yeah, this is like a thousand times better than going into a video store. Exactly. So Drew, here's your question. Mm -hmm. What was the first computer virus released broadly? I mean, it was if everybody had either got it or was on their systems. Mm -hmm. So the questions are brain, Winver, or W-I-M-V-I-R, for those who are pronunciation issues, Creeper, or Melissa. Now, Drew, my first answer was Melissa, because I remember <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> I yes. remember Winver. I do not remember Creeper or Brain. So, Drew, what's the correct answer? So, uh, I also initially thought this was Melissa, like, uh, because Melissa is the first computer virus that I remember as well. I think it was in, like, 2000 or 2001, which is, like, thinking, now that I think back on it, like, of course, the virus would have been before 2000 or 2001, but that was also my first guess as well, and that was actually the only one that I had ever heard of out of these four. Uh, but the answer is actually brain. The brain virus was the first one. <laughs> and that was way back in 1986. So, you know, it's so crazy. Like thinking about, you know, com modern computers, or at least modern Unix computers started in 1970, I believe is about that time. And it took about 16 years for one of those full viruses to go around. That's like, that's pretty good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so what I remember about Winver, both Winver, Brain, and Creeper were kind of clumsy uh, attempts at spamming, you know, if, especially if you worked in technology, they were pretty easy. They were dirty once they got on your system. Now, they created a mess, but they were pretty, you know, clumsy. They weren't clean like the viruses are today, you know. We were talking about this in our last podcast, you know, how you hover over something or how you check, you know, there's a little bit of prevention you can do, but these were pretty creepy and mm -hmm. they also was it was an invitation right so click on this you got a, a virus so you've got somebody click here oh my god oh yeah yeah Can't tell you how many faculty clicked that thing. <laughs> I, I fell victim to the melissa one when i was uh first starting off in computers like it uh i don't remember the exact details on it but i think that was one that like you got in an email and if you open the email and had preview or i may have even clicked the stupid thing in there and launched that virus but like it hit a lot of folks. <laughs> it did. It was it was ugly. It was really ugly. But it I think of all of these, it was the one who we have more most recent memory of because of how terrible it was is the virus. They've mm -hmm. gotten way more sophisticated than any of these here. These, if you would see people would say this is like a kindergarten virus compared to what we have out here today. But yeah. Yeah. Well, like in those sort of older days, like if you got a virus, you could pretty much take it off of your computer and be fine. And nowadays, there's really no such thing as removing the virus. Nowadays, it's time to like reinstall everything if you get a virus. Like, there's no coming back from it. And a lot of those viruses, you know, we've talked about ransomware before. Instead of just you know being an annoying thing where it's going to maybe delete some of your important files or uh, uh, vandalize your website, now it may encrypt everything on your network and anything you have access to and charge you Bitcoins to get it back. Like there's very, the stakes have been raised. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So here's another one that I got incorrect while doing this in my brain. A grand price fixing scheme that took place between 1998 and 2002 
involved over a dozen makers of what PC component? Is it A, DRAM, B, laptops, C, OEM motherboards, or D, storage and hard drives? So a little clarification, DRAM, you called it DRAM, but mm -hmm. DRAM, old term, um, started out back in the days where DASD and all kinds of other storage in the IBM world, you know, before anybody else had a footstep in, in grand application support like IBM did, you heard of DRAM, you know, mm -hmm. OEM motherboards, other manufacturers, you know, that's what OEM is, you know, other people besides whoever the standard bearer is for that, you know, and HDD are, it's more common term to hard drives, you know, different types of hard drives and things like that. This one was easy and hard at the exact same time. The OEM motherboards threw me for a minute. You know, I had to think about that, you know, because, you know, back in the day, everything was proprietary, right? And you had all these companies that come in from the side. And that's how we got OEM, other manufacturers of these kinds of things. And I was thinking, you know, that could possibly have been the case. But mm -hmm. the answer is a DRAM. And I think later on, we're going to come back and visit this this discussion about storage, because I think it's important for people to understand. Um, I, one of my, my neighbors uh, cracked their uh, Apple screen and had to send the computer laptop in for repairs. And the screen is black. And, you know, they didn't know any of the questions to what I what Apple asked them, like, what's the size? What's the operating store? Because, you know, they, most people don't look at see what their uh, OS is that they're running or how mm -hmm. much memory they have available as long as everything is working normal. They don't have any interest in it. So I think this, uh, you know, warrants some kind of discussion about storage and, and backing up and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. Um, this is one, I thought it was going to be the OEM motherboards. Like, I thought maybe this was one of those, because around 2000, 2002, I guess it was maybe a little bit earlier than that, but Microsoft had the big antitrust thing where... Uh, they were doing unfair practices to ensure that uh, I think it was Internet Explorer was everywhere. And I was thinking maybe they had some like backdoor into these motherboards that made certain motherboards only compatible with Windows or something like that. But it's very uh, scary. I was seeing I just heard about this yesterday, but apparently the government is suing Google and another antitrust thing. And this time it's all around uh, uh, ad sales. So apparently Google is doing some very uh, not market-friendly things around uh, ad delivery, which sounds uh, pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to say, you know, in addition to talking a little about storage, we're going to talk about in one of our podcasts, that very issue, right, of, um, you know, back in the day, you know, for those of you who are older than 50, you might have remembered um, what AT&T used to be, you know, and what all these big companies used to be that had a monopoly on the market. And the government came in with an antitrust thing and tried to break them apart. And so Ma Bell went the way of uh, Dodo Birds. And so now we have what we have today. The question just I have all the time. So if you take something as simple as a, a cell phone, you know, the first person who brought a cell phone to the market was Apple. And now mm -hmm. there are a gazillion people that make cell phones. So did Apple release their proprietary data about how cell phones are made so that Samsung and Google and whoever else that makes a, a, a smartphone today could get it? And that's a really interesting thing I'd like us to talk about here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like an awesome topic. Okay, thank you. So here's our next question, Drew. What was the first SMS 
SMS mess, text message sent. And so let me read that again. When was the first SMS text message sent? And you all know what an SMS text message is, right? You ought to know that. That's, you use it every day. A, August of 1998. B, December 1992. June 1994. Or September 1989. Uh, so this is one of the few that I actually, I think, got right the first time looking at it as I was going through these. And the answer is B, December of 1992. Which, you know, that sounds like a very reasonable time period for an SMS text message. Like, thinking back to the first time, like, my first cell phone was, I think, in 1997 or 1998. Uh, I don't think I could actually send texts on it, but I had heard about texts. <laughs> so I figured it was not 98 or... Uh, I figured it wasn't 98 because... Yeah. I could have sent a text message in 1998 if I uh, had a better cell phone plan. Uh, the 80s, that also seems sort of reasonable, but it also seemed just like a little bit too early because nobody had cell phones in the 80s. Like, besides those big... Uh, I'll give you a check and break mine out if you want to. I've got <laughs> yeah. one. Do you have one that like it was like one of those almost like car car? I'm holding up my hands for a size comparison because they were like huge, yeah. heavy too. You know, you know, women like to carry things in your purse. Believe me, you had that when you had that in your purse. Ooh. <laughs> yes, heavy. yes, exactly. I, I mean, it's like the size of two bricks. You remember the little black antenna that was? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, those were really cool. But you know, like thinking back, like 1992 is not that long ago. Like it's it's crazy how far uh, SMS has come, and now it's like one of our primary means of communication. And all the data it generates. Woo! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So next question. Uh, this was another fun one. Uh, this is one. I think this is maybe the only other one that I actually knew. Uh, QR codes. QR codes were invented in 1994 as a way to track what? A, as an alternative to website URLs. B, packages behind the scenes at UPS. C, to initiate phone calls. Or D, vehicles as they were assembled. And for our listeners, QR codes are those little... Uh, black and white squares that you'll see on a lot of things. Nowadays, they're in a lot of restaurants, just like glued onto the table where, like say you don't want a physical menu, you can scan the QR code and you can get like a menu on your phone. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that we we will do as we think about this, like there are a lot of um, uh, acronyms in, in technology. And so QR codes is one of those, URL, mm -hmm. one of those. Um, we will put up at some point a, a glossary on our website so you can go find out what all these terms mean so you'll know, you know, what they are. You'll have a resource for it. And, and every day they come up with a new one. So it will continue to grow. So what's the answer, Drew? The answer is D, vehicles as they were assembled, because I believe it was made by uh, Honda, I think. Or Ford. Which one was it? It was one of those people. Okay. I want to I say it was a Japanese car company because they had, although maybe it was Ford, I can't remember. But the problem, uh, the car company ran into a problem where they started using uh, barcodes, like traditional 
Uh, I'm sure all of our listeners have seen a barcode where it's just lots of vertical lines together of different widths, uh, but barcodes could not uh, hold a ton of data because they're just sort of small and one-dimensional. So the car company wanted something that they could scan and something that could hold a lot of data. And so they invented these QR codes, which are pretty much three-dimensional barcodes. So instead of just uh, bars across a a horizontal plane, it's squares across a horizontal and vertical plane. And all those squares represent a zero or a one. Zero if it's an empty square, one if it's a filled-in square. And I, I think the real key with that is that low-cost equipment can scan those. So all of our phones, which are not low-cost, low of course, but they are commodity, uh, can scan these things with reasonable like error handling. So if a square is smudged or maybe one of the squares has become uh, not quite correct, uh, QR codes can handle that because there's enough redundant data in there so that as long as you have a full view of these four corners on the square, you can get that piece of data inside. And while it wasn't generated to create URLs, I think URLs is a really like unique uh, way that QR codes have been adapted into because now you don't have to type in some long uh, URL for a PDF menu at a restaurant. You can just scan the QR code. Exactly. The flip side of that is watch out for bad QR codes because yep. there's all people can misuse those, right? And just like we say, don't click on any email you get you probably don't just want to scan any random QR code you see out the wild because that could also be a link to malware that you are going to voluntarily go into. Excellent. Thank you for that, Drew. And you're absolutely right. According to the internet, <laughs> I'm going to say that premise, <laughs> premise my statement with this, the QR code was invented by a Japanese team developing cars for a company called Denzo Wave. Hmm. Um, it says uh, the guy's team was tasked with creating a barcode that could easily track automobiles and automobile parts during manufacture. And I think that what's really important about that is the advent of the barcode is a part of the graduation to QR codes. You know, mm-hmm. you know, barcodes were standard for a long time in retail manufacturing and areas like that. Whereas now the QR code has become almost the gold standard for that. So yeah. Yeah. Is it my turn to ask the question? You uh, yes, yes. The first five megabyte hard drive weighed approximately how much? I can't wait to get to this answer. <laughs> uh, 25 pounds, 50 pounds, or 250 pounds, or 2,000 pounds? So I only got this one right because I was using the Jeopardy rules of it's probably the smallest number or the biggest number. And it is the biggest number, 2,000 pounds. Which Think about is... that, 2,000 pounds for a mega, oh Lord. Yeah, I mean, that's like a literal ton, right? Is that how much a ton is, is 2,000 pounds or 1,000? I don't exactly know how much some, a ton weighs. But I remember, so back in the day, again, go Going back to the IBM days, there was this huge disc. I mean, it was huge. It was like, you know, like almost as big as a, a trunk of a very large tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was these c- cylinders, you know, it's about 10 or so cylinders. It was encased in a, I want to say plastic. It probably wasn't it was some kind of composite even back then. But it was in com- and you twist it one way or the other to change it, right? So because mm-hmm. the cylinder sat firm on a base where the top came off. 
oh my God, <laughs> it was heavy. And yeah. I was small at that time. It was heavy. Sometimes I had to carry it like carry a baby or something. It was so heavy. But Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I really like sort of all that sort of older technology that we, I mean, we really sort of take it for granted now. Like when we think about network switches, you know, switches used to have literal switches on there to Absolutely. say if it was a one or a zero, like that's where the name came from. And now a switch is like, it's completely invisible to us. Like you right. can't even see those uh, ones and zeros with the naked eye, as opposed to having an actual, you know, not a light switch, but a lever that sits on right. this giant device that goes up or down. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so much of this technology that we lean on from the past. And like you said, we took, we take it for granted. Coax cables. Do you know without coax cables, we would not have the internet we have today? Because coax cable was what connected devices to things. So although you might travel on a digital uh, internet, it's in the back of it, there's some technology, some physical technology that's allowing you to do that. Back in the day, those coax cables, you know, they if you can remember it, for those of you who had um, sound, big sound bars or, you know, had older TVs and you want to connect a VCR, it almost looked like the little cable that goes in there and screws mm -hmm. in. Ooh, one of us is old, Drew. I don't know which one of us, but one of us is old. We did. One of my, my second technology job in 2002 or 2003, they had just moved away from their coax cables when I started. And they were, I think they were probably 10 or so years behind the game. But, you know, it's not that long ago. Seems like yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so next question. This is uh, another one that I got wrong on my first guess. Who created Siri? And Siri is stylized, all caps. Uh, A, Apple. B, Berkeley. C, MIT. Or D, SRI slash DARPA. D-A-R-P-A. -A. And so my... I, I got this wrong because, of course, I went for the obvious, right? Apple, you know, Siri is an Apple product. so. But yeah. it made sense that the answer is D, Siri, SRI, and, and DARPA. SRI has something to do with either Berkeley. I can't remember the university SRI is uh, associated with. And DARPA is the federal government, so the yeah. military. So they are responsible for what we know as the network as well because DARPA really started with universities and specifically Berkeley. I can't remember the other one. There's one other one that they worked to create the first, what we all now know are blogs and forums. Mm -hmm. um, there were these, um, back in the day, there were all these systems that you could use to post something. And so a part of the work that came out of DARPA's work, the federal government military institution work with universities is absolutely profound when we think about where we are today, because we would not have accomplished or done all of that without DARPA and what they were trying to do for the military, it eventually became a part of everyday life. I was yeah. shocked by that. I was really surprised by that, but I guess I shouldn't have been, you know, <laughs> if you look back into what they've done, they've done some pretty amazing things. It is. It is. Absolutely. I, I also would have thought Apple. Uh, and the fact that DARPA was involved in the making of it, I mean, it doesn't make me mad, but I'm a little bit disappointed because that's like our tax dollars working to create this. And now it's been... I mean, I, I guess Apple had to pay something for it, but it's like, so now Apple can make money off of this thing that was funded by like our tax money. Like, I don't know. That doesn't, doesn't quite sit right to me. I feel like if it was, if we funded it through our tax dollars and the government, maybe it ought to be open source, not, uh, you know. Proprietary. Yeah, 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 exactly. Apple probably paid a pretty, pretty pity for it and then rewrote yeah. some of the code to make it what it is. 
because yeah. if you can do the little dot 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 to it is it responsible for all those little uh chat box we have today is it responsible for all those other things that have come out of it and maybe apple found some way to share so people could create chat box like we were talking with dan about uh gpt mm-hmm. you know all these other things is that the foundation of it not and i don't know but that's something yeah. pretty interesting to think about yeah i mean it was also very like groundbreaking at the time and we probably take we sort of take it for uh granted now because you know at the time it was only siri now we have there's an amazon version there's a google version there's even like a samsung version like everybody sort of has their own uh spoken language thing now but when siri came out that was the only one that did it and it did it really well and continues to do things well absolutely so for our next question registered on march 15th 1985 what was the first domain name on the internet and Drew, this threw me for a loop, so I know you know the answer to this. <laughs> Is it Northrop, Symbolics, Think.com, or Xerox? So I did not know this one. Well, I thought I knew this one, and I got it wrong. Uh, my original guess was Xerox, because they were so uh, influential in those early days of computing. I thought for sure it had to be Xerox. They were the ones that were going to be on top of it. Uh, but no, the actual answer is Symbolics, uh, who I had never even heard of before this question. <laughs> wow, you are young. <laughs> are you familiar young. with Symbolics, Rochelle? I did. What is it? Were they a technology company? They were. They started, um, well, I shouldn't say that. They were more a manufacturer. They were manufacturing some of the parts um, back in the day, and I don't know parts for what, but they were a small manufacturer. And when when the domain first came up long, you know, the, I can't remember which university. I think it might have been New York University, but I don't remember what some might have been Columbia. Some university asked people to submit names for domains. Yeah. And they were one of the first ones to do so. That's that's really cool. Like, it's uh, it's amazing. I remember. But they, I they went away shortly after. They didn't keep that domain long. But I will say back in the day, you did not have to renew your domain. You, once you got the domain, it was yours forever and ever and ever. Now they have tightened that up, you know, and mm-hmm. I was asking you the other day, I saw an ad online for something called www.safe.pharmacy. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering where the .com or the .net or the .io or whatever is, where is it at? And you were explaining to me that's a new trend. So can you say a little bit about that? Yes. So those are... so. Again, we'll jump back in the day, back in the day, meaning like seven years ago, probably at this point, uh, <laughs> most things were .com. So you could get a .org. All of the governments have like a two or three. Yeah, yeah. .gov, .eu, .us. Like there's a, a set number, like a few hundred uh, top level domains, uh, which mostly work fine. And then around, I think it was seven or eight years ago, uh, people decided like, hey, these, especially the country code based domains were not working well for people. So like that US, like while it stands for United States, it also is sort of like a cool domain because it could be like us, like we as a people. And there was one, I think, oh, MD. This was uh, one of my favorite ones was there were a lot of like, you could go to doctors.md thinking that it was medical doctor, but MD was actually the uh, country code for Moldovia, I believe. It was some small nation that 
really didn't care about having a uh, domain name system for themselves. So they just sold domains on their country code for uh, profit, which was like completely within their rights to do. Uh, but it got confusing for folks, I think. So eventually, uh, ICANN, who runs the uh, domain, uh, like those top level domains said, hey, we're going to make it so you can make any top level domain you want, but we want them to be very expensive so that everybody and their mother is not going out and getting their own top level domain. So I want to say it was like 250000 to get a top level domain. It is very expensive. So most people that do that, like the dot pharma, was it dot pharma you mentioned? Pharmacy. Or pharmacy, yeah. yeah. Dot pharmacy. So that was probably some sort of startup that, you know, decided, hey, we can make money if we're selling subdomains of dot pharmacy. Uh, yeah. And that's a pretty, that's probably a pretty good idea because pharmaceuticals make a lot of money. So uh, people that want more memorable names and, you know, by having a more memorable name, you're going to get more traffic and by more traffic, you're probably going to sell more pills. Uh, it ends up being profitable for, for those folks. Uh but it also makes the internet a little weird now because now things don't end in always end in .com or .edu or .gov. Now you can have .some random word and you sort of have to go with it. So just a little aside, I went after I talked to you about that, I went and looked. So I said, okay, I'm going to buy human.diversity. Mm -hmm. Guess how much? $185,000. So I'm like, do these people not know I don't have that kind of money for this? Um, <laughs> yeah. But but I thought that was a great domain. So all of you that have a lot of money, go out and buy human.diversity. And remember, it was my idea first. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. I think, I think you're up next, Rochelle. Okay. So 1024 gigabytes is equal to one terabyte. 1024 terabytes equal to one petabyte. How many gigabytes are in a petabyte? Mm -hmm. So, 2,048 gigabytes, 40,096 gigabytes, 200,480 gigabytes, or 1 million gigabytes. So, uh, I know you got this. That is, it is. I mean, I won't say that I did not whip out a calculator to verify this, but I did <laughs> use my calculator and found the correct answer is uh, 1 million gigabytes. So I, bytes are, uh, I'm sure this is super boring for a lot of people, but I really like love the byte terminology. Like when you think about like the smallest thing you can get is a bit, which is a one or zero. And then eight bits is a byte, which is eight either ones or zeros, on or off. And then uh, 100 bytes is a megabyte, uh, 1,000 is a gigabyte, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's really interesting. And a lot of times where this comes in for everyday people is their internet speed, right? Like everybody wants fast internet and those internet, your internet speed is measured in bits or bytes. Uh, <laughs> The bit, the bytes are technically eight times the bits. So, you know, when we think about 100 megabit internet versus 100 megabyte inter internet, while the names sound very similar, uh, there is a huge speed difference. Uh, I was reading a good tweet by, uh, I can't remember who it was, but he, his argument was that we should not measure 
network speed in bits at all because you can't transfer a single bit over the internet like it's just not possible the, the smallest thing that you can transfer over a network is a byte so why are we using this sort of mislabel this misla not necessarily mislabeled but i think it's misleading you know you always want bigger numbers uh a thousand bits is that better than a thousand or is a thousand bits better than a hundred bytes not really. They're about the same, but a thousand sounds like it's a lot more. So it's used in marketing more. Yep. I think so, it's your turn now, Drew. I'm sorry? It's your turn now. Excellent. Excellent. So our next question is, uh, what was the first handheld game console to ship with a color display? Was it A, the Atari Lynx, B, Game Boy Color, C, Neo Geo Pocket Color, or D, Sega Game Gear? So I had never heard of Neo Geo Pocket, so I ruled that out. Like, okay, I, like maybe that was a fad or maybe that's something brand new I'd never heard of. Mm -hmm. um, Sega, that's the little blue fox, a little blue thing. Oh, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog, right. So that little blue thing, he was a hedgehog. Thank you for clearing mm -hmm. that up. So I had heard of that. I believe Everett had one of those, but I don't remember that. I knew for sure Everett had a Game Boy. I had Atari very, very early on. Um, I played Donkey Kong with Atari. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, it was great. So my first guess was B the Game Boy. I didn't know. So <laughs> Atari was old. So, you know, like, okay, that makes sense. But yeah. I picked Sega. So what's the correct answer, Drew? So the correct answer is the Atari Lynx. Uh, and that's not one that I would have gotten either. Uh, I do remember, so I had a Game Boy growing up and I remember the Game Boy did not have color like for a very long time like it was one of it, like Nintendo was very late to that game for some reason on making those Game Boys color like they did everything in the world to a Game Boy before making it color uh, the Neo Geo I don't think I my brother had either the Neo Geo or the Sega and those, it was like amazing to see a little handheld device that was showing full color like seeing that Sonic the Hedgehog on a like tiny thing was mind blowing to uh, uh, at least kids my age. And I just don't know anything about that Atari Lynx. Like I never played one, never saw. I don't think anybody that I knew had one. Uh, but I like, think looking I, might it up online, under the I might have one under the couch if you want it. You know, <laughs> I, I have um, every had everything that came out. So I think I still have his Game Boy. I have his uh, Wii, you know, so mm -hmm. anytime you need any of these old things, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds good. <laughs> so we I know probably... we're running out of time, Drew. So um, how do you want to proceed? Should we come back and revisit this topic? Have trivia two or should we? Uh... I do think we should have trivia two, but let's go ahead and throw a couple answers out to the listeners that, uh, that we can have. Uh, we can see if anybody calls in with these and uh then we can do some more uh next time either next episode or next month i would say okay so for our listeners uh question one is what does rgb mean in technology is it a rouge gray black b red green blue c 
Rose Ginger Brown, or D, Ruby Gold Brass? What is the meaning of RGB? We can't wait to hear your answers. Yes, yes, exactly. And I want you all to appreciate my talent of coming up with these color streams because some of these colors I had never heard of as colors. So I, I didn't even know all those were colors because I was about to say these all seem colors. And then I thought, well, I don't even know if those are colors, but they are colors. Nice, nice. Uh, and our second question is phishing, ransomware, and spam are examples of what? A, PlayStation video games. B, phishing leads. C, spy movies. Or D, malware. Now, this one I created with you in mind, Drew. So I know that spy movies might be an answer because you like spy movies. So maybe <laughs> these things are spy movies. The phishing leads... You know, when you go fishing, you know, they have all these colorful names for the fishing leads. You know, mm -hmm. like, these are great answers. And then PlayStation, every hour they come up with a new game. So this might be a PlayStation game. These might be PlayStation games. Yeah, yeah. It could be all of those. Like the, uh, especially when you think about Ransom and Spies, like that goes hand in hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was thinking about you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, so anyway yeah uh, if our listeners can uh shoot us in see if you know the answers to those we'll give you a uh, we'll give you a special shout out if you get the answers correct and you you too can be become a part of our uh loving podcast <laughs> but until then i think we'll go ahead and wrap it up and thank you everyone for listening uh email your answers or questions or just say hello into us at imminentteachnology at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you. Thank you.